Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. I am excited about today's podcast because we're going to dive really deep into one of our case studies. Um, We thought this would be a perfect thing to do, especially with the book as it's come out, and we kind of walk through some of the stuff. And I know it's really hard for, like, at least it was for me. When I got started, you'd read books, and it was like subjects were compartmentalized, right? Like it's, okay, here's this subject, and then they talk about it, then here's another. And it was hard to understand how those concepts and everything all fit together. So I'm hoping that's why I like case studies and walking through, because it kind of puts a lot of these things together. And that's the point of this podcast. So today, we really want to put a lot of the stuff uh together that we talk about through one example. Obviously, you can't cover because even in the example in one example, there's things that we did in other ones that we left out and so on and so forth. But it gives a pretty good idea and it shows and it's a good walkthrough, I think. And during in the book we 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 walk through this one and uh it, it was one of our favorite my favorite ones that we did because we had to do so little. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot to it. Just get it, and uh, you're making money. Uh, no, for really, this this is one of the examples I, I view when we're doing turnaround projects. Like, you have two sides. One's the capital expenditure side, where we have facilities that need a lot of work, like the one we're in the middle of now. So Connor's been working on this one for a long time, and we had to tear down buildings we had to redo the uh dry vials the i mean we added buildings we had to redo the water drainage completely we had to put in two new huge water drainage components it's it a huge project and we just barely got done with it and, and that's a great deal too but that one there's a lot more on the um the maintenance, the maintenance side or the capital expenditure side that we had sure. to put into it. It was, it was very involved in changing the looks and feel of the facility. Exactly. I mean, you, you compare that to our facility that uh, we got up in Washington, you know, not too long ago yeah. where it's like, yeah. we really didn't have to do anything there. Yeah. Where All back end operational changes. Right. Yeah. And so you have these two. And for me, the reason I, I bring that up and why I don't want to use that one right now when we will is because for a lot of people, and it's a perfect example. So the facility that we needed to put so much capital expenditures and everything in, when we first looked at this facility, I actually turned it down. And then three years later, four years later, we bought it, and I had to pay like a million more for it than it was originally offered. Uh, <laughs> Dang but, it. Uh, no. but um 
it was still a right move. Like I don't regret doing it because when we originally looked at it, it was outside of my core competencies, right? Like I, 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 that much work being done in a facility, we'd never built one yet. We hadn't done any of that kind of stuff. So I couldn't confidently underwrite it. And so we didn't do it. Um, well, just imagine if, if something had gone wrong or a mistake had been made, you could easily be looking at more than a million dollars in losses. I mean, from a simple mistake. So staying within your core competencies, I mean, that's a huge, uh, lesson. I I mean, mean, we literally, the whole front buildings, everything, we tore them down to the ground and just started from scratch on half the entire facility. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, it was a big one. Um, so this one that we kind of want to walk through with you guys today is one that if I was starting out, not, not just if I was starting out, this is the ones that I love best today, is that all the improvements that need to be done are operationally, and I talk about this in the book um, as well as other places, um, I, I call this money on the table. And the money on the table is it's there, but you have to be able to see it and underwrite for it. So the one that we had to tear down all the buildings, um, I knew there was money on the table, but I didn't know how much. And because I didn't know how much money was on the table, I didn't know how much I could spend to redo all the buildings to get it. Because after all the capital expenditures went in, it may have used up all that money on the table. And I couldn't really get comfortable with that. So with facilities that I don't need huge capital expenditures in, it's a lot easier to identify the actual amount of the money sitting on the table. So with that said, let's get started into this thing. Let's jump into it, man. Yeah. I'm excited. It's going to be a good one. It is. First, this is the first real podcast we've done after the launch. We hit... Uh, I think, no, the last, we talked about the, the launch of the book in the last one, because we'd already, had we hit bestseller by then, in that last one? You know what, I'm not sure if we did, um, but I'm sure there's listeners that uh, are jumping in here on this episode that don't know the news. Yes. If, if we did catch it in the last one, but uh, yeah, dude, by all means, share yes. share the awesome news. So, yep, we, we, we hit it, folks. It's a bestseller. Um, it hit number one in multiple categories. And we've hit bestseller in multiple categories now as well. Um, and it's only been a, what, a week and a half, I think? Oh, if that. If that, yeah. yeah. Maybe a week. Yeah, maybe a week. So, well, um, not even a week. I mean, it was... You're right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not even a week yet. Not even a week yet. So uh, I'm pretty blown away by it. And it's funny because, honestly... We have been so busy the last couple of months, and I didn't even really stop to think about like the book at all from the standpoint of launching it, people reading it and everything. It was just, I was trying to get the book done. We were trying to get it out. So when we launched it, it was like launched, okay, next thing down, and just like kept going. Didn't even, <laughs> exactly. you know, didn't even stop to think about it. So this weekend, um, I got to spend a little more time at home. <laughs> and nice. So that was very <laughs> nice. And, uh, um, got to think about a lot of the stuff that we're doing, um, not only in our facilities, but with Cedar Creek, um, taking on uh, investors and building out that whole side of the business. 
And uh, one of the things I want to talk about on this podcast while thinking about that is give you guys just kind of a little update. We talk about, you know, all these rosy fun things and all the, you know, great successes and wins. Although for some reason I like to talk about all the times I screwed up, which I should probably, <laughs> I think my wife's <laughs> like, what? why you got to tell everybody that? <laughs> well, like, it's, huh? it's real. You know, you it happened. <laughs> so much of this out there, dude, where you just have this, this linear expectation and, and um steve schwartzman covers this a little bit in his book you know going through that where you know he's sitting in this class with his professor and he's showing this linear progression of entrepreneurship and he's sitting there like wait a second dude like i've been through this and it is not like that it's not how it works um, and so i think re resetting that expectation where it's like dude you do you just have to figure this stuff out you know you're not gonna just go in and know everything you're it's not gonna be linear you're going to pivot, you're going to change, and it is it is what it is. You go with the flow and yeah. make things happen. Um, so well, that's shocking fact, how every project is so different. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So it's as much as in throughout this podcast and even the book, you know, we want you to have the framework, but you need to understand that every project has different needs. They have different ways to get into it. You have different avenues to get deals to get deals done to finance there, there's so many ways to make these things work and um that's why you know there's so much to cover in it um, but we've been working you know this week and all day and you get these problems to happen you know we had a facility that's getting stuff stolen out of it and we're dealing with the cops and working on that stuff and then you know you have other facilities where something else is happening new com- competitions coming in. So as you're going along, um, and these perfect, you know, linear drawings and entrepreneurship that don't exist at all. Um, it's always a balancing act where you're putting out fires as you're walking forward. And it's just like, you're kind of always doing it at the same time. Um, so we've been really busy in the last couple weeks, putting out a, out a few fires, which that too kind of took away from just like focusing on the book or not so it's been interesting now you know kind of looking we're headed uh to one of our facilities gets tomorrow so i'll probably put some stuff on instagram um which you guys will probably have seen if you follow me on instagram before this comes out but um yeah so we were running around taking care of these a few of these facilities and when i look back at this one and the problems that existed how we found the deal um it's a not, I don't think it's a unique deal. I think it's more standard. So this deal, we'll, we'll jump into it here and I can kind of explain to you. It has all the same problems. We had issues with um, people have broken into it. We had problems at being old. We had to fix up some stuff. We had to remodel the office. But at, when let's, let's start right kind of how we found the deal. Okay. So if we're doing a walkthrough on uh, this case study, if we're starting from the beginning, we paid, you know, what I think people would have said at the time was a very unreasonable amount. Um, I'm not saying that to tell people to go pay unreasonable amounts. Um, I'm saying that because we, we had a pretty good idea of the money on the table. Um, it was an owner who was an older gentleman and it, he liked the facility, he hated technology, and he didn't like unhappy customers. So he wasn't raising rates. There was no active re- revenue management going on. 
Um, he was installing a TV for the manager so she could watch um, shows during the day because she had nothing to do. Um, all great signs for us. And so, you know, the only problem was he didn't want to sell. And, um, you know, we, we talked with him and we said, hey, listen, you know, that's fine. Um, but keep us in mind and we'll keep touching base. And we did. So we kept touching base with Bob and we would reach out to him all the time. After about three years, he had some health stuff that happened. And one time when we called him, he was like, yeah, I'm ready to sell. And the last time we talked to him before that, it was, it's funny you call me because I'm never going to sell. And it was like, you know, thanks, but it's never happening. And then three months later, it was, yeah, I'm ready to sell. And this is important because... A lot of people, when you get a no, you just say, oh, next. And you drop it. And a no means a no, not right now. That's all it means, right? I'm not in a position to where this is the current right time or circumstances for me to make those kind of decisions. But um, circumstances change very quickly, as we've all seen in the United States. Um, And when circumstances change especially politically, economically, and things that that causes things to surface. This causes opportunities to come up because the conditions in which they came to that no have changed. And so this is a great time to be out looking. And when we were working with Bob, we had three years, he's like, listen, th- circumstances have changed. I'm ready to sell. And when identifying what he was looking for, um, the price that we came down to was two point, oh, was it two million one hundred forty-one thousand, and that was a six point five cap, and in this market, that was a and time. This was in when was this two thousand. 14, 13, when we were looking at this, that was an unreasonable price. <laughs> how the world how has changed. How the world has changed. <laughs> That's um, incredible. But the when we looked at it and thought, this is an unreasonable price, and in fact, I, I, I do believe that was the, at the time, that was probably the, one of the lower cap rates we even bought on. And... You know, he didn't, uh, our expenses were more than his. So it wasn't a 6.5 gap. It, it was a six or maybe even below that um, because he didn't include all the expenses. And, you know, you know how that worked. So, but we also knew there was no point in arguing that with him because he was so set on not selling. We knew that we could buy it and there was what we seemed to see was around a 30% increase in gross revenue sitting on the table. When you look at deals like this, all of a sudden it became, if we can, a 30, 30% on gross revenue, um, that's huge on the value, and that goes straight to your pocket, right? So that's 30% increase in net profit um, from where you're buying it at. And so for us, when we start to look at it, we knew that we would get our 
5% return, whether we bought it for a seven and a half or a five cap. And that's when we start to not care as much about the number. We obviously want to get the best deal and everything, but it's not worth losing the deal, right? Because I'm like, oh, I'm not going to buy the deal because that's an unreasonable cap rate. And I should be getting it at an eight cap, which would give me a 40% return. And your cap rate of 6.5 only gives me a 30% return. That's not logical. That doesn't even make sense. We buy the deal. Yeah, as long um, as it meets your criteria that exactly. you've set forth. Bef- I mean, if it meets that criteria, yeah. dude, move for it. And so. kind of like uh, we covered this in the last episode, uh, talking about how cost is is relative to revenue. Yes. Um, and talking about those those key aspects, um, you know, demand, you know, uh, cost, um, all those good things. That's another thing. It's a good point. You just brought that up. The lay of the landscape at the time, demand was super heavy. Um, there had been no facilities that had been built in the area. Everything was full. Um, it was, it was so clear we could raise rents substantially. It was the spread was very large. And so when we bought the facility, the gross revenue was around 280,000. And the year we bought it, we increased the gross revenue to 322 and then within three years it had reached 400 over 420,000 um and so when we look at this facility which and it's gone up obviously from there that was just a 2016 but we put you know over 750,000 down it was 700 762,000 down um Within three years, we were getting over a 30% cash-on-cash return. And uh, within three years, we had added $1.6 million in the value. Um, when we looked at that, how we extracted that value and picked that up was a simple... There, it was a two-step process. First of all, it was getting the what I would call more like the street rates in line. So what is asked when you come in the door um, with current existing rates in the market. And so we really brought those rates up substantially. Um, But then two, we got very aggressive on the individual existing rates. So what happens a lot of time is on those rates for like a 10 by 10 or a 20 by 20, the different units on a square foot basis. So let's look at this. If if you're charging, um, if you're getting a hundred bucks for a 10 by 10, right? That's a buck a square foot. Um, Lots of times in self-storage, what you'll see is that large units sell at a discount per square foot. Because if a five by five, right, is a hundred bucks, that's two bucks a square foot. If you put that on a 20 by 20, that's a huge <laughs> price for that big unit, right? Um, and that scares people away quickly. Um, I mean, you're talking on that. If it was a 20 by 20, let me see her do some quick math, what two bucks a square foot would be, you're at 800 bucks, which for a 20 by 20, 800 bucks in a storage unit, that's crazy, right? Um 
So when you look at the spread and when you look at what people are charging, what we find in, in a lot of mom and pop facilities, there tends not to be a rhyme or reason on why they're pricing the way they're pricing. So you get bigger spread in square feet. So if you've got the five by five, that is essentially $2 a square foot, um, you may be pricing your 20 by 20 at 50 cents a square foot because the 800 is just too big. So one of the things we like to focus on and do is we like to have a set, which doesn't make sense. That's not logical because did the price of the space that you're renting change? Right. No. Then why is it at such a massive discount? What's wrong with that, right? So there's lots of things that come into figuring out what is appropriate and obviously demand, everything else like that. But two, a lot of times, in this city particularly, the bigger units had much more demand than smaller units um, because there were less of them on the market. So one of the things that we look at doing is we look at evening out that square footage cost. And so if we're getting you know, a buck a square foot a month on a 10 by 10, why aren't, you know, you should be getting that more broad across the base. Obviously you hope you can get it for more, but the larger you go up to get that rep per square foot revenue up can have a huge obvious impact on your bottom line. And so as we looked at evening out the chart, why they're charging per square foot, like what they were getting, um, one of the things that we have to do is we have to get existing rates in line because of discounts and concessions. A lot of times when you're dealing with these different unit sizes, you could have 50% of the population that's not even being charged what's listed. So you got a 10 by 10, they're charging a hundred bucks, that bucks, that's the street rate. And 50% of the population may be charged getting paid 60 because he wasn't raising rents. He wasn't doing anything, but he, uh, or, he and lots of facilities instead they'll up the street rate because they don't want to upset existing tenants. So they say, well, if they move out, then I'll replace them with somebody at a much higher paying rate. So all of a sudden what happens is you're not actually getting anywhere near what you're charging because such a huge percentage of the population is being paid what they were paying six years ago. And you're upping one rate, but not existing. So we need to get all of those people in line. We got to get them all up, right? And this is where a lot of people are scared to up rents, things like that. Um, we're definitely not. Um, so we came into this facility right off the bat and said, all right, we really need to get these rates more in line, which was essentially, you know, basically a $50,000 increase um, year one. So year one, we added six hundred and basically fifty thousand dollars in equity, um, and that was cleanup. So I call this cleanup, and that's the first level of money on the table. We look at what is it just cleaning this facility up. So making sure people are actually paying. Okay, so delinquencies were above ten percent, um, and late fees lots of times aren't even being charged. So we we just need to make sure people are paying on time. And if they're not, they're paying late fees and that they're being charged what is actually listed. And so this is nothing crazy, right? Yeah, and so this, yeah, this first level of cleanup has a huge boost. This is the first level 
of that value add, which immediately put in $650,000. From there, we got much more aggressive. Now it was, okay, every single person needs to be on a six to nine month rate increase schedule. And we need, and we get, and now we have the street rates that are up more in line with market. We're not focused on being 100% occupied like the previous owner was. In fact, we want to be around somewhere between, we like to be between 88 and 93%. And the reason being is we want to make sure we have inventory to sell. Because if you have a hundred, if you're hundred percent occupied and you don't have inventory to sell to people, that means you're passing up the highest paid customers. They would love to rent and lots of them even double the cost. They need a space, but you have nothing to give to them. So when you're a hundred percent occupied, I know that I can get street rates way, way higher because I have less to give. And I need to make sure that the people that are there, because demand's so high, that they're paying an appropriate amount to make me forfeit those people. So as we get aggressive and we start to do rate increases and we start to really push that, you also get vacancies. Now, with the vacancies, they can be, depends on how aggressive you are at first. Um, and how aggressive you are will depend on demand uh, and what the current existing market is. Um, but as you are being aggressive and getting those vacancies, the idea is to bring people in quickly at a high cost. Um, so you're out now doing an online marketing strategy, which we implemented. And the online strategy is to find those people that need storage quick. They need to put it uh, a lot in. We tend to uh, uh, work on mobile phones where we're doing Google targeted ads uh, to people in those areas. And that causes us to fill up with better customers. So it's almost, it's, you're not just cleansing the facility and cleaning it up. Um, you're also cleansing your tenant base and you're cleaning it up to the appropriate tenants. So from there, we added on the next year, another hundred or 711,000 um, gross revenue went up to 370,000. Um, and then the next year, right after, we're already up to 421,000. And uh, oh, I found a mistake in the book. So, well, this is good to know. <laughs> no, it's all right. So this eight is supposed to be a two. I'm going to get that fixed and send that out right away. Uh, but anybody doing math will see that real quick. Um, but when you look at the last year, the 421,000, um, what happens is you you don't stop and plateau because remember the back end work that you did the six to nine month now every single year you're getting rate increases without shocking the system and it's important that you get to this point stabilized doesn't mean doesn't mean uh, you're just hanging out right stabilized means everything's working and cleaned up and how it should be six to nine months everybody's getting rate increases. And those rate increases are done by unit sizes and demands in the market. We generally were doing around, um, still are 9 to 12% rate increases. Um, and when those people, it, when, when you get to this point, this is, you're in a good spot because instead of giving everyone, like everybody that has 10 by 10s, a rate increase and everybody's mad all at the same time, it's when the person comes in. So every single month, your revenue should be going up because every single month, somebody got a rate increase. 
and when and after you get to this point now you're being much more dynamic about how you're running this revenue right and it's coupled with not just good revenue management but it's also coupled with good marketing strategy making sure that your value uh offering is in line so we changed up the office um, added in security, things like that to make it worth it. And we kept the facility nice and keep it up running. So the value's there for the customers. Um, but once again, we put, I mean, you're, you're talking like $15,000 into the office and it looked completely new and looked amazing and everything else like that, but it wasn't a lot. Really, we're just playing with revenue management. It's all we did to this facility. And in three years, we added, you know, 1.6 million just by changing the way we did rate increases and the way we handled um, pricing our units. And so when I, for anyone getting started or not comfortable, that gets overwhelmed and saying, well, this is a huge asset, or I, I'm worried about um, the capital expenditures and things, that, those are the ones that you should look for. You're looking for the low-hanging fruit. You're looking for the small facilities or the facilities that they're really just on standby. They're just sitting there. People are renting. They're paying their bills sometimes and lots of times. <laughs> a lot of the people aren't even paying and they, and they don't have a way to collect it. They're not even, they're not, they're not kicking people out, anything else. When you find that, um, then you immediately know that the first phase, just the cleanup phase makes it worth it. And these are simple enough things that getting started, you can say, yeah, I can make sure that people are paying their bills. And I can make sure that if we're charging on a 10 by 10, $100, that everyone's getting up and paying $100. I can also make sure that I can give individual rate increases six to nine months to everybody of at least at minimum 3%, because that's, you know, you want to keep with inflation and your expenses are going to go up. So put it from three to 6% individually and the software systems allow you to do this right so i don't care what you're using um and you, they all have a back-end ability to add in this and automate this in your storage facility um and the big thing that this does too is it trains your tenants so we've taken over facilities that haven't gotten a rate increase in 10 years and when we give them a rate increase people lose their minds I mean, they just go nuts. I mean, we hear about like how I killed their grandma and how that, you know, I'm a horrible human being. And I'm like, well, you haven't gotten a rate increase in 10 years. Do you think taxes didn't raise in 10 years? Do you think, you know what? It's just, it, it just doesn't even make sense. But if you're giving, if you're doing dynamic pricing and giving rate increases every six to nine months, nobody complains because it's what's expected. And so it takes care of a lot of problems. It drops delinquencies. Uh, another big thing that, you, that we did on this facility as well as others, we did a huge push to get people on auto pay so that we streamline that. And then we are very stringent about late fees and auctioning process. And so with this back end um, revenue management strategy, it's amazing. And it, how much you can increase the value. And, and we talk about this a lot. We focus on capital management and revenue management. Um, treat it like a business, right? And then start looking at the ROI on the capital spend. So my capital spend on an ROI um, for 
adding in my new tenants through marketing, well, I can say, listen, my average tenant stays, I don't know, let's say 14 months, right? Um, that average tenant, you take all the units together, you say the average tenant uh, pays this much. Now, I got to preface this. So if you're looking at a facility right now and you go onto their software system and it shows that the average tenant stays two and a half years, okay, that's not true. That's because maybe you have five tenants who have never left. So you got to make sure you're you're taking away the extremes, right? And so I, I, I look at it and say the vast majority, 60% of our tenants or uh, 75% of the tenants stay on average. It's for most facilities, you see it eight to like 15 months, right? Then they average tenant pays, whatever that is, 12 or lifetime value over that 12 months based upon their rent. And if they pay insurance and their fees and everything like that is 1200 bucks. Okay. Now I look at the um, expenses, the operating expenses, which is just your total expenses divided up by the units. You can take that out of the tenant and then that equals the lifetime value. So that's your profit, right? That's the lifetime value of profit. Then I can look at my expenditures to get that unit filled. And now I know what the return on my money is. And so when you take over a facility, you're trying to market in, in a way that gets you long-term tenants at the higher price because then you lift that long-term, uh, that lifetime value of that paying customer up substantially. And really that's the goal. And through revenue management, this can be done without huge amounts of risk, right? If you're too aggressive and you start to get worried about it, you can always come off, right? You can start small and raise rates from there. Um, and you can do it without having to put in, or if you buy right, without putting in huge capital expenditures. So I really am a fan of this model. I really look at the the... Um, tranches, the cleanup tranche, the um, rate uh, uh, strategy tranche, and then being aggressive on um, rate increases and pricing overall. And the better you are at marketing, getting people in the door, the right customers in the door, and understanding how much it costs to get someone in the door and what that person's worth, that changes the game. That changes how you approach that facility. So once again, revenue management combined with understanding what the value of that customer is to you, how much it costs to get that customer, that will change completely how you manage and operate that facility and its returns that it's capable of. Does that make sense? 100%. And, and again, you know, we're working from knowns in the market. There, there's no theoretical, you know, this might happen, that might happen. The market kind of goes up maybe, you know, 5 to 7%, you know, whatever annually. Like, there's none of this guesstimation. It's you're looking at knowns, you're overlapping those knowns to a facility that's underperforming, like you're saying, hasn't raised rents in 10 years, and you're just looking at the difference, yep. seeing the spread. Exactly. That's and that's the money on the table. So I, I think this is a great version in the book. Um, and you can see, once again, the numbers and everything as we're walking through it. But when I look at the pricing structure and the acquisition and how 
we do those rates and those rate increases, the where I think people falter on is when they start guessing. So I've seen a lot of performers that I don't understand where they got their numbers from. And it's like, oh, we think this market can handle that. Well, what makes you think that? Right. Right. And don't talk yourself into something. Right. And the more that when I'm looking at a facility, the more I have to justify buying it, the less I should be buying it. Um, It should really just stand out. I should just understand it. And the more that you learn and as you grow, more will stand out. So you'll see more opportunities because your skill set will become better and more confident and you can understand the variables better, right? But especially when you're standing out, uh, starting out, it should you should be looking at a lot of deals and you're picking the low-hanging fruit, the ones that just pop, the ones that you say, I can clearly identify the spread here and I don't even know a lot. And that's, you know, when we started out, this was one of them. This was one of those facilities that we were like, this is obviously a winner, right? It was, it didn't, we didn't need to convince ourselves. We didn't need to talk ourselves into it. It stood out. And uh, um, when you go that way, you've been talking to a lot of people, people lately, and they're feel like, I just haven't had the confidence to move. And I think when you identify and do this walkthrough of the money on the table, that gives you the confidence to move as long as you're not making up variables and saying, oh, yeah, well, I think the market can handle this. If you think the market can handle something, make sure it's backed by actuals, and then you're fine. 100% agree. 100% agree. No, that's all fantastic, dude. I love it. Is there anything else you want to cover book-wise? You know, I think when you're – yeah, when you're looking through the book, we, we talk about – a lot of these different examples and you can see the ones that we talk about like capital expenditures and I'm going to do another we'll do another case study here too in the next few podcasts on like building and different avenues like that so you guys can see and understand and walk through um, our thinking and what we see and what we don't um, we have a few developers we're going to talk to too and bring them in so they can talk to everybody about that um, that's a big subject, and the variable, the variables associated with building, are way, way more. Okay. Um, and so that's going to be like a few episode <laughs> podcasts. We're really going to have to dive in deep, so you can understand that. But acquisitions, for me, like acquisitions, um, need to be not bulletproof, but it needs to be clearly identified. And then building needs to be no brainers as it's just like, Oh man. Okay. This, even if this isn't awesome, it's going to work out just fine. And so that's how I kind of look at building and we'll get into that more. But other than that, um, yeah, if you want to go, we have a calculator on the site that has two versions. So it has like my current acquisition, what's going on in the market to identify the money on the table. I just need to change the name of that thing to, money on the table calculator. There you go. Uh, it'd be <laughs> easier for everyone involved to, to remember it. Um, but we're, if, if you guys leave us like a great review on Amazon, throw it on the site where you get that for free. We'll just email it out to you. So all you got to do is leave a great review on Amazon. If you bought the book and then we go to the site and there's right there, you can put it in, send it. And we send you that, that calculator, which I think helps illustrate and show exactly what we're talking about it goes by like unit size like you can say all right 
this unit is here today. Here's where the market is. And here's my financing, everything else like that. And it'll show you at the end, it's currently a six, six cap. But if you just meet the market, which is B, scenario B, then it's actually a 12 cap. It's, you know, and that's what we do. Shows you the spread. No, it's a sweet calculator and definitely do that. Leave a review, go to the website. To, uh, have you had people just shooting a screenshot over to you? to you from yeah, the website shoot, or yeah just shoot a screen screenshot or say hey you know i left a great review um you know check out my name on there when it's just yeah we're awesome we're, we're pretty trusting yeah yeah <laughs> so. definitely do that and then also leave us a review on uh, itunes or whatever podcast app or platform you listen to us on um i mean we have had such an influx in reviews um oh it's listenership is just growing like crazy and it's all thanks to you guys yes. sharing the word, getting involved, sending us your reviews, um, sending us your questions, emailing us, all that stuff. It's been fantastic. We've been doing that same thing, setting up calls with AJ. Um, you guys leave a review on iTunes or wherever it is. Again, take a screenshot, email it to us, set up a phone call with you, um, go over what you what you got going on, questions you might have, yeah. all that good stuff. Um, it's been incredible. Also gives us a ton of awesome ammo for uh, the podcast. Yeah, so. we, 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 we do. We pull out these topics. Um, this topic was one that somebody emailed and said, hey, will you just do a walkthrough of a deal and how you're looking at it? And we'll do this more. We've got a couple deals that we're closing on. Um, which we'll do a full walkthrough probably in the next two, three weeks of the deal we're closing on right now. Um, how we found, how we found it, um, walk you through the numbers and everything we found. Um, but a lot of these questions and everything that you're bringing to, to us, they're coming from my calls with you guys and your reviews, you know, that you guys leave review. We do the call thing. And, um, we, we just simply take what you guys are asking for and talk about it on the podcast. So please email us. Um, let us know, and we are more than happy to to walk you guys through and discuss it. You bet. And then kind of touching on some of the topics that we covered today, if you guys go back and listen to the episode that we published just before this episode, we talked about those three aspects, the demand, the revenue potential, and the cost. It kind of goes in depth into you know how to identify the demand, how to analyze revenue potential and costs and so forth. So if you need some more expanded in-depth information on that, go back and listen to that one. It was a good episode. So right on. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks guys. everybody. Thanks.